it's uh, part three of Galatians, and we're talking about freedom in Christ. Uh, last time we left with Paul's words ringing true that it is faith in Jesus that brings salvation, not works. So look at chapter five and first verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, so read the first seven verses and just think about what do you get from this and what do you understand of these verses in light of the previous chapter and what, if anything, are we challenged by? So this part set out to me, there's the words, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now note that it's not just faith, private faith. It is something that cannot be kept inside. A faith that shows itself through loving other people. Um, Paul says that, um, in contrast to this, those of you who are obsessed with following the law and being circumcised, because remember, that's the big cultural thing, that if you're going to mark yourself as that, you have to obey the whole law. If you insist on marking yourself to a certain group, you have to live by those standards. And he's pointing out that um, a Christian needs to uphold only one I mean, not just one standard, but the main standard is that their faith expresses itself through love. If we add more things onto that, we're going to dilute the message and ruin it. And that will cause divisions and problems and arguments that this freedom and salvation does not intend. So think about what, if any, social or religious or cultural demands you have come across that you have felt have added to rather than supported and helped your Christian faith. So as we know from reading Corinthians and Paul's other letters, he's managing a whole host of new churches and coming across divisions from ambitious people within. Um, so keeping to both the simple truths and the original intent of Christ for Paul is so important, as is, as we talk about all the time, unity in the faith. Um, Paul reminds the church that the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, have to pay the penalty and he's tough on people who distort the truth because he knows that whoever it might be is almost a hundred percent not someone who has distorted the faith accidentally but one who is intentionally confusing the believers for their own gain those with responsibility then should be extra careful uh, look at james 3 verse 1 where he says not many should be teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly and Paul is angry at those who confuse the church. You know, he effectively says they should castrate themselves, which is you know, tough stuff. So the big question is, what does freedom mean to you? What does freedom in Christ mean to you? And this is such an important thing for Paul, and it won't mean exactly the same for us today. If you look at verses 13 to 18... Paul gives us a rundown of what it means to be free in the spirit. And he's really clear that freedom in Christ, while not limiting behavior like the law, shouldn't be used to indulge the flesh. That's the term, indulge the flesh. And this doesn't just mean sex. It means living to effectively serve yourself and your own desires. And verse 14 reminds the church that the whole law is summed up by love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we serve ourselves, when we, in, quote, indulge the flesh, and when our lives are defined by our own indulgences, it is far more likely that our churches and our Christian life will be fractured 
and the quote would be biting and devouring one another because our worldview would become me-centered rather than you-centered. And Paul explains that walking in the spirit is inherently going to be different. It's going to be completely contrary to this way of life. Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And that's because the Holy Spirit's motives are counter to the world's motives. They're in contest. And so Paul can say to the church, you are not to do whatever you want. And this is a hard thing to say to someone in our culture. Our worldview is totally defined by, you know, our freedoms, your freedom of speech, choice, autonomy, etc. And to try to say to, to someone in church, especially a younger or newer Christian, that they can't actually do whatever they want may well conflict their very core values as a Westerner. So what do we think? Is this idea that actually freedom in Christ doesn't mean we can do whatever we want? Is that outdated? Is this all gone? Is our Western world, you know, so built on Christian ethics that actually this teaching is not necessary? We've, we've done, we've got to the paradise. <laughs> Does this idea conflict with you? And if so, what is it that it conflicts with? So spend a few minutes reading verse 19 to 26. And here we've got this famous part of the chapter, the most famous by far. Uh, the list of bad things and then the list of good things. Note, when Paul says acts of the flesh, he doesn't say sex, he doesn't say having a drink or two, he doesn't even say going to war to fight for your nation, he doesn't list anger, nor does he list parties or even discussions or polite arguments. The things he notes are those things that are purely self-serving and often take to being out of control. Sexual immorality. Not just sex, sexual immorality would be obvious to those in Greece and Rome, as it would tie into the understanding of using people for their bodies with no respect or love, um, as well as swapping spouses and being unfaithful. And note that his list of hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, envy, drunkenness and orgies, they are all pointed towards things that are totally self-centred and totally out of control. And that's not to suggest that we don't need to be wary of the pull of some of these things in moderation, but it needs to be said that he is not dismissing it out of hand. He's not, you know, he's not saying don't ever worry about sex or don't ever worry about drinking or don't ever worry about being angry. We have to, we have to be wary, we have to be careful. And then look at the warning. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he doesn't say those who have lived like this. Remember, Paul was someone who was out of control with his zealous nature trying to kill the church. He's talking about people in the present and future tense. People who are and will continue to live in a way that is selfish and out of control. Are not compatible with the Holy Spirit. And every time you are challenged, it is the Holy Spirit challenging you on you know, something like this. And then obviously, by contrast, the really famous verse, the fruit of the Spirit is uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, all starts with love, and will all have implications that benefit other people. So, with those two lists, what do you feel you need to pray for in your life and seek more? Is there more of one fruit you need and is there less of one of the bad things we need note here that self-control is the final 
thing that Paul notes as the fruit of the Spirit. And it's also the one that ties everything together perfectly. So love starts it. Love of others and yourself. In Christ we can have joy wherever we are. We can have peace. We can have kindness and goodness to people. And when we are loved in Jesus and love others in Jesus, we won't be so selfish. And then we can begin to live actively, practicing self-control. And self-control is by far the toughest because it requires us to actually do something. Like, you know, the Holy Spirit can come into your life and suddenly give you peace. And that can be like, like God gives it to you and then you are passively peaceful. But to say practice self-control means you have to actively choose to deny yourself things. And our culture doesn't encourage self-control, it encourages self-excess. So if the final fruit of Christ is self-control, the final fruit of the world is self-indulgence. And we need to be very careful of that. So does the call to practice self-control annoy you? Does it seem incompatible with our lives? Is it the thing we need to pray for most? And it's funny that the notion of freedom, and total freedom in Christ, would imply that we can do anything anytime to anyone. But in practice, this is impossible. It's destructive and it is actually a lie. It doesn't Total freedom to do anything you want doesn't actually bring total freedom. Total freedom in Christ is the opposite to that. It is a, a freedom to live with a spirit that is so content in the love of Jesus that it can serve anyone and indulge last of all. It can give because its identity is love and it doesn't need to be identified by having stuff. It is a freedom that transcends any culture and any religion and any social demand, any work demands. It is the truest path to actual peace and contentment, but it cannot be achieved in our own strength. It can only be achieved in knowing and having and seeking the Holy Spirit. And at last we come on to the final chapter of Galatians. Feel free to pause these any time. Paul opens with some instruction for church member discipline. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Paul is calling for fellow believers to help restore any person whose lifestyle is not reflecting the Spirit. Remember, we just spoke about what does and does not reflect the Spirit. Though judgment will come into this, as will correction and challenge, he wants it to happen gently. We should cultivate a culture that challenges sin, that seeks accountability with one another, gently and lovingly in the Spirit. Do we allow for restoration in our church? Do we challenge sin? Do we have people who are frequently open and honest about our trials and temptations? Or is our culture one that hides its challenges and lives in shame? Christ is not supposed to bring fear, but forgiveness and new life. Now, if you quickly read the first six verses of this, and the final chapter, what stands out to you and what challenges you? Paul reminds the church the church who were restoring the sinner, to be careful, to watch themselves, to carry each other's burdens and to test their own actions for pure motives. If you think you are something you are not, you deceive yourself. It sounds like Paul is urging the church to be very careful, to not think of themselves as more highly or protected than they are, to not think that they are so good and holy that they can't sin, or perhaps to not fall into the trap of believing that 
you are not a sinner. Because we all are. And the moment we start thinking we're not, we will easily be tempted to sin. And verses 8 to 10, brilliant and simple bit of advice. If you live to please the flesh, from the flesh comes destruction. I.e., if your life is caught up in the physical ambitions, the cutthroat way of the world, chances are it will only bring bad things in the end. Um, If you've ever seen any gangster films, Godfather, particularly 2 or 3, Scarface, War Dogs, American Made, anything like that, any TV shows about Breaking Bad, the lead characters, they get caught up more and more and more in wealth and pleasure and power, and they inevitably get brought down by their competitors or the police in the end. Now, hopefully none of us will ever take it this far, but I think it works rather well. And Paul says, if you live to please the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Therefore, do not become weary of doing good, but as do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family. How do Paul's words and wisdom strike you today? Are you all about living for the Spirit and giving and serving? Or are you more often tempted by the desires of the world? Is your life about success, popularity, money, a big stage? Or is your life about humbly, quietly giving of your time, your wealth, your words, your actions to build others up? Especially our fellow Christians. Have you just read to the end of the letter? Um, and just write down what you think. Write down... You know, what, what you think is going on in the church in Galatia at this point, and the, and the fractures that's happening, and why. What modern examples of, of, of this kind of, these problems can we see? It's clear in the Galatian church that some of the, the Judaizers, the people that wanted the Christians to be more and more Jewish, that they want more Christians to be circumcised so that they can tell other people that it's their way of doing Christ that is better. And people who are duplicitous, who change their skin, they don't have integrity and shouldn't be trusted, particularly not with positions of influence. And Paul finishes his letter with a similar callback from chapter 5, where he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. What counts is new creation." Christianity is not about physical markings. It's not about you know, ticking all the boxes and following a set of rules rigidly. Though there are things that we said that come with the Spirit and are kind of important. What matters most is new life. New life in the Spirit that brings that good fruit. And when your heart turns away and you know, slowly but surely, or maybe all at once, has nothing more to do with the, you know, the ways of the flesh... Like we said a little earlier on, it is not about just having faith, nor is it just about actions. It is about having a faith that is so full in our heart that our lives are overflowing with loving actions towards other people because of the Holy Spirit.